In part one, we talked about our freedom from fear, that God doesn't want us to be oppressed with fear, that Jesus came, the Bible says, uh, to deliver us from uh, the oppression of the wicked one. And fear is one of those weapons that the enemy loves to use to, to paralyze us, to uh, immobilize us. And so we spoke about that. And you can listen to that if you missed that uh, message on the podcast. Just go right to our website, livingwordli.org, and you can listen right there uh, if you missed part one. Part two, we spoke last week, there is now therefore no condemnation, never will be, ever, ever, will be, there will be condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is a freedom for us from guilt and sin and shame and, and all that that entails. And so that was part two. In part three today, I want to talk to you about the power uh, over sin, that Jesus Christ paid the price in full to deliver us from the very power of sin. I came across a, a story uh, that was uh, kind of mind-blowing, and, and I started to do a little bit of research to see if this is something that was unique or, or something that was uh, more popular than I could even imagine. And, and I was blown away by the fact that there are lots of people who have, as a pet, raccoons. I mean, anybody have a pet as a raccoon here today? I am so glad nobody raised their hand. But I mean, and it is just crazy, right? So I, I came across this story about this girl by the name of Julie, this young woman by the name of Julie, who, who took home from a pet store. I mean, you know, listen, I, 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 when in the research I found YouTube videos, and you can check this out yourself, there are YouTube videos with people loving on their raccoons as though they were little affectionate little children, kissing them and hugging them and just going nuts over them, you know? And... Uh, so, so, so this young lady, Julie, comes home with a 90-day-old raccoon. And she's just absolutely, she just thinks this is the most irresistible pet that, 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 that possibly exists, right? And she just knew that they were going to be lifelong buddies, right? Uh, 90 days, she was so cute, right, this little, this little raccoon. She calls him Bandit, all right, because he was so curious. He would, you know, to, to me, they look like they got hands. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but, but they're called paws, he takes, he takes her paw, his, his paws, or her, I should say her face with his paws, and he stares into her eyes with, with wonder and curiosity. And she says it melts her. She can't help but become affectionate. And so she gives it a little kiss and a hug. And Okay, now, now Bandit, right, uh, 18 months later, is now a 25-pound adolescent who is a little, a little less playful, but he's still affectionate, you know? And, and, and you kind of wonder, like, uh, how come everybody doesn't have pets as, as uh, you know, raccoons as pets? They make such great pets, right? And so uh, one of Julie's friends uh, was, now, now here, here's the thing, at around 30 pounds, a raccoon is probably equivalent and can probably beat a 100-pound dog in a scrap or a fight, you know? So, so, so they can be really dangerous. So, so Julie's friend, you know, uh, was, uh, was, was sharing with a, uh, a veterinarian from a zoo and was saying, I, I don't know why more people don't have raccoons as pets and was telling them the story about, about Julie and, and, and Bandit. And, and the, the answer that the zoologist gave was, was really revealing. And what he said was this. He says, at around 24 months... They undergo a change. 
And they become very independent. They become uh, very unpredictable. And, and they become hostile, even to the point of attacking their own owners. So at, at that point, Julie's friend was really concerned and says, you know, is there any exceptions? And the veterinarian said, not that I know of. So does, does that mean my friend might be in danger? And he said, you know, with conviction, absolutely. So the friend went to Julie and sat her down and, and said, look, I just, I got to share this information with you about the nature of raccoons and what might be expected and what this zoologist said about raccoons. And, and she politely listened. But what she said was, she said, look, it's going to be different in my case. Bandit would never hurt me. He would never harm me, never. Three months later, Julie was undergoing surgery, plastic surgery for facial, facial lacerations and for disfigurement that, that, that happened as a result of her raccoon just leaping on her for no apparent reason and beginning to attack her. When I, when I heard that story, I said, that's, that's what sin does to people. You know, at first it seems like fun. It, it seems, you know, like it's harmless. You know, the uh, Bible even talks about in Hebrews 10.25, talks about the pleasures of sin for a season, that there's a certain amount of pleasure that's involved in, in sin. And, and, and it's, you know, we, we, we kind of flirt with it. People kind of invite it into their homes. And then, and then when it reaches full maturity, when, when it comes to full age, it does what James tells us in uh, James chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. You know, there, there's, there's nothing safe about sin. There was a woman who was absolutely worried, sick about her pet python. Now, let me ask you again. Does anybody here have a pet as a python? No, I'm so glad nobody raised their hand. Again, I don't know why anybody would want to have a pet python, you know? I mean, it's just, to me, it's just nuts. But, but anyway, she loved this thing. This thing was affectionate with her. It would crawl up in bed with her and, and just, just, just kind of cuddle up right next to her. But all of a sudden, it stopped eating. And, and the veterinarian, uh, or rather, the, the woman was so concerned that she called the veterinarian I mean, it wasn't eating, you know, its favorite food like live mice and little rodents and stuff like that. And so she was worried. It, it must be sick. And so she calls up a local veterinarian and says, should I bring my python in for a checkup? And, and so she explained to the veterinarian what was going on. And the veterinarian says, look, look, your python isn't sick. He's purposely not eating. And the reason why he's not eating is he's planning on having a dinner with a friend. And the reason why he's snuggling up to you is, is not because he's being affectionate. He's sizing you up. You are the menu. Folks, there, there, there's nothing safe about sin, and there's nothing safe about that old serpent, the devil, uh, who, who, who's very lie from the beginning, is still very effective. You shall not surely die. When in fact, the wages of sin is, is death. And that, and that we should have a posture and an attitude toward both the kingdom of darkness and toward sin, that we are opposed to that, 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 that we are uh, in a battle uh, against three fronts, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so there's nothing harmless about either one. 
And so we have an adversary. You know, the Bible tells us that seeks whom he may devour. But see, here's the great thing about, about this life of faith in Christ is that it's not just about forgiveness. It's so much more than just forgiveness. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm not minimizing forgiveness. Forgiveness came at the price, at the price of the life of Jesus at the cross. It was, it was his suffering at the cross that purchased our forgiveness by his blood. We have forgiveness of sins, okay? But there is so much more to this walk of faith than simply forgiveness. And that which is better is that we would have power and authority over the works of darkness and over sin itself. That there is something better than just simply receiving forgiveness, having failure in our life and, and coming to a place in our life where we need to ask for forgiveness. Again. No, something better is that we would live a godly life in Christ that we would be conformed to the image of God's Son, meaning that there is a change that takes place in our character and in our conduct and in our behavior, even in our affections and our desires, that, that a change has taken place, a transformation has taken place. And the Bible teaches that we are no longer under the mandatory compulsion of sin, that we've been set free. The very name of Jesus is a, as an indication of his mission. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Not just simply save us in our sins, but save us from the very power of sin itself. Here's a question. Think that leprosy is not a problem for our present 21st century? Think again. In 2011, there were 200,000 new cases of leprosy reported in the world. That's only the cases that were reported, 200,000. That is not a small issue. And the estimates are since then, two years later, that it's only been on the increase. I mean, it's, it is a horrible disease. It's a debilitating disease that eats away at the flesh, that numbs the, 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 the victim of this disease and, uh, and causes... Uh, there to be scarring and causing there to be a, a, just, just a horrible existence. Today in our culture, just make a comparison. You know, uh, people thought that, you know, leprosy was some ancient biblical issue that was way back there. But, but listen, it's an issue for today. And people have that same regard today in our culture. When we, when we talk about sin, they kind of uh, chalk it up as being politically and socially incorrect, that it's an irrelevant issue for today's modern times. But the fact of the matter is, is that sin is the result of, of so much suffering or so much suffering is the result of sin being in this world. And it does something far greater than leprosy. It mars the soul and it scars the spirit. A flippant young man said one day, said in speaking to a group of believers, he said, you say that unsaved people carry a great burden and weight on them? He says, I feel nothing. How, how much does sin weigh? 10 pounds, 50 pounds, 100 pounds? And the person he was speaking to said, well, let, let me ask you a question. If I took a 400-pound weight and I put that on the chest of a dead corpse, would he feel the weight? And he quickly responded, he said, of course not really driving home the point. And so he said, so in the same way, someone who is not in Christ is equally dead. And although the 
load of sin is heavy, he won't feel the weight of it. It's only when we have been made alive in Christ that we begin to see the burden that we once carried. You know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It's only when our hearts have been opened, when we've been made alive toward Christ, that we begin then to see just how blind we once were. If you're not a follower of Christ today, let me lovingly challenge you today to let you know that there is a a void in your heart. There's a void. God has created us with, with only a space for him to fill. And when we come to the realization that nothing of the things of this world that we try to fill that void with satisfy us, but that when we come to realize that we were made for God, by God, in order to love God and in order to be loved by God, then the light goes on. And that becomes one of the most significant realizations in a person's life. So in spite of the fact that we live in a very dangerous world, a world where there is sin, a world where there is Satan, and a world where, where there is a, uh, a culture that is anti-God and anti-Christ, nevertheless, we can come underneath the umbrella of God's protection. And we can receive from God the the wisdom and the, the knowledge of how to navigate through the minefields of this world. I want us to look at a portion of Scripture this morning that describes what we once were and what we are now if you're in Christ. So Ephesians chapter 2, great portion of Scripture. Follow along with me up on the screen. As for you, believer, this is Paul writing to believers to the church at Ephesus, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. You were physically alive, but you were spiritually dead or separated from God. You were at enmity with God. That is, that there was a conflict between you and God. You didn't want God. You were opposed to God. So as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and in sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's speaking of Satan, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. What a description for those that are outside of Christ. And so he says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. That's what was our past experience. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. What a, what a statement that is. We were the objects of God's anger. But, and here's one of the, one of the best words that you'll ever come across in the, in the scriptures, that little word but. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That is, positionally, we are safe. That is, positionally, legally, we are seated together in Christ. 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness toward us in Christ. I love that last verse that I just read. It tells us that that we've just scratched the surface of this kindness, of this grace that's been lavished out upon us, and that in the ages to come, age after age after age, endless ages, there will be the revealing of God's kindness toward us. It's never going to end. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves or from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace has brought us all on the same playing field. We were all in need of a Savior. And the only way that we could be saved is by grace through faith. And that that one person might be glorified and one person might be given the, the, the crowns of life. And that is Jesus Christ himself. Only God can make alive what was spiritually dead. And only God can reconcile us to himself by a fourfold, a fourfold salvation. Number one, we are saved from the penalty of sin. We looked at that in part last week when we said there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But number two, we've also been saved from the very power of sin, that sin no longer has dominion over us. It no longer has control over us. Number three, we are saved from the very pleasure of sin. I don't know if you noticed this, but if you're in, in Jesus, have been walking with him for a number of years, what used to satisfy you cannot satisfy you anymore. You may fall, you may go back, you may stumble back and, and do what you did before in the past, but you know what? It'll make you miserable. In fact, what you will begin to discover is that the joy of being with God in his presence is far greater than any of the pleasures that you previously experienced in this world. And that, and that basically, for those of us who are in Christ, he has ruined us. He has ruined us as far as sin is concerned. He has, he has taken out that, that desire, that pleasure that was once in us and made us now uh, have affections that are above, that are far above. And number three, number four, and that is probably the, the longing in our heart. One of the ways that you know that you're a child of God is when there's this, this longing in your heart to be set free from even the very presence of sin. That is that the day will come when there will be no more, that we'll be in a world that was created in righteousness and holiness. That we will be living in a world where there'll be no more sin or sickness or death or disease or, or any of those things for the former things will pass away. That's the hope that we have in the gospel. That God is going to remake or, or, or renovate this, this old universe and that, that sin is not going to be an issue anymore for any of us who are in Christ. So let me say this. This is amazing what God has done for us, and it is the grace of God that includes this freedom from the power of sin. Now, I'm not saying this. First of all, let me say this. I am not saying that if you are a follower of Christ, that means that you can never sin again. That would be be erroneous teaching, and some have taught that. What I'm saying is that we are no longer practicing sinners. We're, We're saved sinners. And it's okay to say that we are saints, that is, that we've been set apart. But it's also correct to say that we're 
saved sinners. And one who wrote about himself, described himself as the chiefest among sinners. The more light that we have, the, the, the greater understanding that we have, do we, do we realize just how, how much that we need a Savior. Uh, I'm not saying that, that we don't sin, but we don't practice it any longer. We don't, we don't live as a habit underneath its dominion any longer. And what I am saying is this, that this is a lifelong process. We begin the process. We begin to grow. We, we begin to, to, to discover uh, grace and, and, and Jesus. And, and we grow in the knowledge of Jesus. And when we grow in the knowledge of Jesus and grow in the knowledge of scriptures, we, we begin to have victory over areas in our past that, that used to trouble us, that used to weigh us down, that used to uh, entangle us. We, we begin to have, have victory, and it's all because of the grace of God. It's not because of our strength or our, our willpower or our resolute, you know. No, it's, it's the grace of God that is in us, that is giving us the victory over the power of sin. I want us to to take a look this morning briefly at two uh, brief scenarios, the worst case scenarios that I can think of, okay? And uh, the first is someone who is uh, demonically controlled. Uh, The word possession is not accurate in Scripture. It is to be demonized. And uh, this is the the, the man that we call in Mark chapter 5 the uh, demoniac of Gadara. Now, if you know a little bit about his story. I mean, this guy was living a living hell on earth. Uh, he was living among the dead in tombs, naked. He would cut himself. He was, he was constantly trying to harm himself. He was tormented. He had this supernatural demonic kind of strength where people that tried to chain him, probably for his own good, and to, and to keep him away from the public, you know, he would break those chains like, like they were feathers. And uh, he would frighten everybody, right? And uh, he, he's living this tormented life. And then along comes Jesus. And along comes Jesus. And, and that part of this man that was not controlled come run, come, comes running to Jesus, falls down before the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, with the word of his power, expels the demons. Sets the man totally free. In a, in a miracle, everything changes for this man's life now. Now he's seen. He's fully dressed. He looks normal. In fact, the townspeople come out to see what was going on. And now they're more frightened of him dressed and normal than they were before when he was naked and kind of crazy. So Jesus is about ready to leave that part of the, the region there of Kedera. And uh, he says, Jesus, can, can, I, can I come and be with you? Can I come and follow you? And Jesus says, I've got, I've got something else for you in mind. I want you to go home to your family, and I want you to tell them the great things that God has done for you. And I, I love this verse. It's in Mark chapter 5, verse 20. And it says, so the man went away, And he began to tell in the Decapolis. The word Decapolis means 10 cities. You know, we can kind of think of it like Brookhaven. And Brookhaven is this larger section, and all these other towns are a part of Brookhaven, right? 
And here's a, a locality that had 10 cities attached to it. And the man goes and he begins to make the name of Jesus known in these 10 cities about how much Jesus had done for him. And the scripture says, and all the people were amazed. Because grace is amazing. Because this man's life had so, had been, had, had so been known and published throughout the whole region but now that they saw that a change had taken place, his behavior was different. His character was different. He had undergone a transformation. And that really is what salvation is all about. And you know what? That, that, that is probably, you know, and here's the point. If that's the worst case scenario of somebody who is almost totally controlled by demonic influences, then how much more can Jesus come into my life and into your life who we don't fall into that category. But let me give you another worst case scenario. What I think is probably on the opposite end of the demoniac of Gadara. I, I, I think of this individual. He's self-righteous, proud, religious. He's going about trying to establish his own righteousness. This man whose name was Saul of Tarsus, who we know to become in his conversion, the apostle Paul went about arresting believers, dragging them out of their homes, torturing them, putting some to death. He was consenting to the death of Stephen. He had all of these plans. He had, he had an agenda to go from city to city, foreign cities, to arrest believers because he thought he was doing God service. But along came Jesus. And you know the story. Along come, comes Jesus, and Jesus... Jesus looks at this man who is, who is the arch enemy now of all of the children of God, of all of the believers that were in Jerusalem. And God says, I choose you to be my next apostle. I choose you to be an apostle to the Gentiles. I choose you to be an example of my patience and my mercy as an example to others that if I can do this in your life and bring about a change from a proud religious Pharisee to a humble servant who, who says of himself that he was the worst of sinners, not even worthy to be called an apostle, if that's what I can do in your life, then others will have hope that that's what I can do in their life. You know what? That, that really in between those two parameters, that's our story. And then along came Jesus. Along came Jesus one night, and he found me. And along came Jesus on the same night and found my wife. Together, we both gave our hearts to Christ. Two, on, on, on two opposite spectrums. Me and my wickedness. Nobody needed to convince me that I was a sinner. And my wife, in her self-righteousness. Sorry, honey, but that's the way that it was. My wife was so good. I, I know that there was a picture somewhere floating around the house where she was in a nun's costume. I think her parents had, had, you know, had a vision that she would become a nun someday, right? Something like that. But, but, but my wife, listen, my wife was so good. And I was, you know, you know that song, Bad to the Bone? You know, they wrote that about me. You know, Bad to the Bone. 
In my wickedness, I needed a Savior. In her self-righteousness, we, we were both equally lost, just as the demoniac of Gadara was equally lost with Saul of Tarsus. Two opposite end of the spectrums, but both needing a Savior. Kathy and I, both on opposite ends of the spectrum, but both needing a Savior. And Christ did save us on that same occasion. We were like spontaneously birthed into the kingdom of God on the same night. Gave our hearts to Christ. And then, and then the process of beginning to grow, the process, because it is a process of, of leaving the life that you had of either wickedness or self-righteousness and trusting in grace and trusting in God to grow you, to conform you, and over time to change your character, to change your conduct, to change your interests, your priorities, the, the things that, that motivated you, your dreams begin to change because it's a process. Then along comes Jesus. And really, probably that is the story of many of our lives. I don't know about you, but I had more baggage when I came into the kingdom of God than Southwest Airlines does at rush hour. I, I, I needed to be set free from, from addictions. I needed to be set free from habits that I had that I could not break myself. And Jesus began to break those addictions through the word of God and through revelation and through understanding. And, and, and one of the greatest revelations that I had that helped me to bring about change in my life was the realization that the power of sin was already broken. It was a done deal. It happened at the cross. For me, it happened at the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. That became a reality to my, in my life. And I want to share a verse of scripture. Listen, if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Christ, but you are stuck in some sin, that there is some addiction in your life, it, it, it may not be a drug. It, it may just be a habit. It may be anger. It may be jealousy. It may be something that trips you up. I, I, I want you to, listen, I want the light to go on for you. In the same way that it went on for me, these verses became my, my, my get-out-of-jail card, and I used it. And when I, and when I used that get-out-of-jail car, card, for me, some of those things that held me down were broken off of my life. I'm going to look at Romans chapter 8, great verses of Scripture. Romans chapter 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. How can I die with Christ? This is, this is the question. Everything that I'm going to tell you now is an appropriation by faith. To understand that Jesus Christ is the representative of a new species, a new race of men. Just like Adam is the representative of the human race and everyone that is in Adam dies. Everyone in Adam has sinned because all have sinned and come short of... Even so, in the same way, we now have a new head and a new representative, and he is, that, he is the new man. And we are to put on, 
as a garment, the new man which is created in righteousness. We're to put off the old man. My old man, Paul says, has been crucified. He's not talking about his father, right? When he says, my old man has been crucified, my old nature has been put to death. And because Jesus triumphed over death and is alive, so likewise, we're not just dead, we're alive toward God. So this is what he says in verse nine. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And I love this. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. You could put your name in there. He died once for Kathy. He died once for Dan. He died once for Angela. He died once for me. And that he died once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives unto God. See, here's the thing. If you see yourself as dead, you can't be tempted anymore. Oh, you, you, you might be tempted, but, but the power of temptation can affect the dead man. Uh, a dead man can't be seduced. A dead man can't be a lord. A dead man can't, cannot respond to the power of sin because it's been broken. He's dead towards sin. Let that become a faith understanding in your heart and it will become so. Verse 11 is, one of the, is, is the great verse in this portion. He says, in the same way, in the same way, which means in the same way, count yourself dead to sin. You consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, here's, here's the option now. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its evil desires but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought back from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. I love this part. Listen, listen. For sin shall not be master because you are not under law, but under grace. You are no longer under law, but under grace. Grace has changed everything. For those of us that are in Christ, grace has changed everything and grace becomes the power to live differently. I've shared this illustration with you several times. Some of you here this morning never heard this. So for those of you who have heard it, you know, you're gonna listen to it again. Sorry about that. But you know what? This is probably one of the best ways that I know of describing how grace empowers us to live differently. Grace is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Grace, listen, grace isn't just giving us forgiveness. It is the power to enable us to live differently. About a dozen years ago or so, I drove into a police checkpoint. They had two police cars on either side of the road, and the policemen were out of their cars, one on the left, one on the right. They were checking vehicles that were passing. They were stopping the vehicles. They were looking at vehicles' inspection stickers and to see if you were wearing seatbelts. Now, my inspection sticker was fine, but I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. I know it's crazy, right? 
I wear a seatbelt every time now. And, and this, is, this is what happened to me. And this is what changed me, right? Uh, it was a female police officer that, was, that had stopped me. And she saw that I didn't have a seatbelt on. And she, and she did two gestures. She, she motioned in two ways very quickly. She did this with her, with her index finger, putting it over her lips, giving me the indication, don't say anything. And then the other thing she did was like this. She was instructing me, put on my seatbelt, and then she waved me on. And she let me go. And there was a cop on the other side of the street giving a ticket to a guy for the very same infraction. Now, I don't know why she let me go. I like to think because she was female and I'm cute. (laughs) But that probably isn't the answer. The answer probably is as inexplicable as grace is. Why, why does God show mercy on some and not on others? Why, why does God show grace to some and, and not on others? I don't know. It's, in, it's inexplicable. And in that moment, when I realized that I, I was shown this kindness, this mercy from this stranger, you know, from that moment on, I always wear seatbelts. No, listen, they say to me, but that's, that's really crazy, right? You didn't wear a Listen, I, I, I was driving a car. Before there were cars, there were horse and buggies. I'm so old. No, no, seriously. When I started driving cars, they didn't have seatbelts, you know? And, and when, when they did start having seatbelts, they weren't compulsory. They weren't, it wasn't the law. And you had to put them just around your waist. They weren't the ones that go, you know, cool that go over your... And it wasn't cool. And for years, my, my kids would say, Dad, put your seatbelt on. Dad, put your seatbelt on. I said, ah, it's, it's not cool. And then all of a sudden, I got this revelation of what grace is. Grace is, is that act of mercy. I was dead to rights. I, I deserve to have been punished, some penal you know, measure for, for, for breaking the law. But I was shown mercy instead. See, grace really is the kindness of God that we don't deserve, we, we will never earn, that has been given to us so that, so that we might live differently, that we might live in the power of grace. There's a story that's told by uh, Max Licato uh, in one of his books called The Shaped by Grace, so it's a really appropriate story. He was having heart problems, and uh, his, his heart was in actual, it was in atrial fibrillation. Uh, he, he described his heart as, as, as being like a, uh, a, a telegraph uh, person uh, using Morse code. Fast, 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 slow, you know? And so he didn't respond to medication, and so his doctor wanted to do this procedure called an ablation, where they go in, with two wires, one's a camera and the other is this hot instrument. And, and they, they literally cauterize, they, they literally burn that part of the misbehaving heart, right? And so, and so th- 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 this is what he writes. He says, as I was being wheeled into the surgery, for surgery, the doctor asked me, any final questions? Doctor, not a good choice of words, he said. He tried to be funny. He says, so you're burning the interior of my heart, right? Doctor said, correct. 
You intend to kill the misbehaving cell. Yes, that's the plan. So Max says, as long as you're in there, could you take your little blowtorch and do something about the selfishness and the pride and the, and the greed that's in my heart? And the doctor smiled and looked at him and said, I'm sorry, that's above my pay grade. And Max said, and he writes, indeed it was, but it's not above God's pay grade. In fact, that's the business of God. He changes our heart. And if you know the promise of the new covenant, God says, I'm going to take out the stony heart, the stubborn heart, and I'm going to give you a responsive heart. I'm going to put within you a tender heart toward me to do my will. What I want you to know this morning, what I want you to come to realization, it's a done deal that you, if you are in Christ, you have been set free from the power of sin. Sin has lost its power. So start to live in the reality of grace. It's a done deal. So let's kind of just recap this message before we close in prayer. Number one, we've seen the danger of sin and flirting with sin can be in a person's life. You can't handle it. And we don't want to handle it. We want to avoid even the appearance of evil. Number two, Jesus can rescue us even from the worst of scenarios, of either extremes, of being, of being wicked or being self-righteous. That's what he's come to do, to save sinners. Number three, we can count this fact that we have died in Christ when Jesus was crucified so that now we live by the power of an endless life. Number four, grace becomes the power so that we can live differently. Number five, if we're in Christ, he's given us a new heart, a heart that we can respond to him, a heart that is tender toward him. And, 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 and last of all, the wonder of grace simply changes everything. It, it enables us to live differently. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the Savior who has come to set us free. Set us free from the penalty of sin, but even more than that, to set us free from the power of sin so that we're no longer living underneath, underneath its compulsion that we're living differently, that we're living godly lives, that we're living a life that is being conformed to the image of the Son of God. And so I thank you today, Lord, that there is power in the Word, that the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the Word, and those that believe in the Word, that the Word of God works effectively in. So let this Word today be sealed in our hearts. Let it work effectively in our lives for this purpose to set us free. And if there's anyone here this morning that is not in Christ, that, that today, Lord God, would be a, a day let, that their hearts would be open, that, that they would see that the only one who can fill that void, that, that empty hole in their hearts is God himself who has made us to be loved by love. So I pray that the light would go on for those people right now that they would cry out to you. They would simply say, Jesus, come into my life. 
Be the Lord of my life. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Begin a brand new life with you, Christ, today. And for those of us this morning who need just that power, realize that it is a done deal. Grace enables us to live differently. Now live in that reality.